1: Change is never easy, and a football staff shift ranks among the biggest disturbances for an athletic program. When Scott Strickland announced on Sunday night that the Gators had mutually agreed to part ways with Jim McElwain, it capped the end of a strange and tumultuous week for the Orange and Blue. In the aftermath, there is certainly no shortage of questions out there, and we'll try to sort through some of those today by talking to the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, and FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But before we get to those conversations... Let's hear some of what Athletic Director Scott Strickland said to the media and Gator Nation on Sunday night.
2: This morning, I met with Coach McElwain and also began conversations for the first time with his agent, Jimmy Sexton, regarding Coach Mack's future here at Florida. The end result of those conversations is that Coach Mack and the UAA have mutually agreed to part ways. Later in the day, I met with Randy Shannon, our defensive coordinator and assistant head coach, asked him to serve as our interim head coach, and he has agreed to do so. I think we're very fortunate to have a guy like Randy on our staff at a time like this. I uh, also met with our team first, and then followed met with our, our coaching staff. Um, this is a difficult situation, challenging time for all those individuals and the families that are represented there uh, and the people involved. These kind of transitions are not easy. Um, our student athletes, as you guys know, are always one of our is our number one priority, especially during unusual circumstances like this. I appreciate Coach McElwain the way he's handled this. Uh, we had constructive conversations. I like Coach Mac. I think he's a good man. I want to thank him for his time and his effort serving as our football coach. I'm confident Coach Shannon and our staff will provide the guidance our program needs these next four weeks. We have four games left, we're not giving up on this season and uh, I know our young men are ready to go out and get on the field this coming Saturday at Missouri and represent the Gators. Our search for the next head coach of the University of Florida begins immediately. I will do everything I can to keep the search process and the details of the search process confidential. We all understand that rumors tend to run rampant in these situations and because of that a lot of what people read and what you hear will not be accurate. Unfortunately it's not practical for Steve McClain, our staff, or any of us to respond to every single rumor. So I ask for everyone's patience as we go through the process. And at some point in the future, I'm going to stand up here and introduce the next head coach of the Florida Gators. Until then, I
1: ask you to take whatever you hear with a grain of salt. Perspective is always important, and few people have had a better view of the program than Mick Hubert has for nearly 30 years as the voice of the Gators. Given the number of coaching changes he's seen during his tenure, we began our chat with Mick by asking how this compares to similar moments in the past.
0: Well, it's always a little bit of a rough time for sure, Adam, uh, when you got to go through something like this. And, uh, you know, professionally, uh, we hate to see it happen because obviously when no matter who the head coach of the Florida Gators is, uh, when he wins, we win. <laughs> and so we're, we're all in this together, and so you want that guy to be successful because it has a direct relationship on uh, our day-to-day lives and all those kinds of things. But uh you know, when things go in in a, a sour direction, you know, I've seen this happen a few times in, in my 29 seasons here, and uh, you just got to keep uh, keep on keeping on. That's what you have to do. I mean, uh, I mean, when when Ron Zook was relieved of his duties. Uh, you know, Ron was uh, able to finish out the term, and uh, you know, I, I did the call-in show with him and uh, and the pregame show with him, and and he was able to go on and 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 then in the last game, uh, beat Florida State in Tallahassee mm-hmm. on uh, the newly named Bobby Bowden Field. So that was a great night for for Ron. Uh, they carried him off the field at the end of the game, and and I remember I had a good relationship with Ron over the years. I, I knew him back in the early nineties so when he came back as the head coach we kind of picked up where we left off and and you know one time on the on the uh the television show uh you know ron he during a commercial break he he threatened to i'm gonna walk off and leave and i kind of called his bluff on it i said go ahead and do it what are you gonna do fire you <laughs> you know I said, he's already fired right so i said go ahead and walk off well he didn't he stayed and he finished it out and had Charlie Strong coaches in the bowl game and, and, and that didn't, didn't work out so well in, the, in that one game situation. And then, you know, a decade or so later, uh, Will Muschamp, it didn't work out for him there in that 2014 season. And, uh, you know, Will was so very well liked within the administration and it was a tough call for Jeremy Foley to make. And, and yet when that was a decision he had to make, uh, but we had a good relationship with Will and Will was able to, to finish it out as well uh and, and those are some interesting shows from my personal perspective because i'm sitting you know elbow to elbow with the coach and we're live on radio and we're we're, we're basically live to tape on television and you know you, your heart kind of goes out for him in those situations and then uh, dj Durkin came in and, and did the the birmingham bowl and we beat East carolina so he held it together now this situation here this year is is different than those two because uh, obviously the coach was told uh, that he's done right now so he's out so I don't have to do any shows with a guy that's not the head coach. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it's a little bit different and uh, it's a longer a longer stretch of games. We have a month to play and I certainly think that the Florida Gators have a lot to play for this year. I mean, we think about it. I mean, uh, if this team can win it out, and I don't know why they necessarily can't, it's up to them if they can win it out. You know, you're looking at uh, you know, a pretty good record. You're looking at 7 and 4. And then you get a chance to go win a bowl game and, you know, eight and four is not what you jump up and down about. But given where we were, you know, right before, you know, Halloween, <laughs> to sit there and think that before Christmas or, or right after Christmas, we're, we're sitting eight and four and with a, with a bright future with a with a new guy in place, hopefully by then. I think it, it, it's a lot to play for. And in those four games, you got a chance to beat some teams that, you know, on paper, you probably should be able to beat. This isn't a strong Missouri team, so you got a chance to win it. And you got a chance to beat South Carolina, UAB. And then if it gets to that, if you've won those three and you've got Florida State in the last game with their situation not being as good as they had hoped, you got a real chance to play. So I think. If I'm Randy Shannon, I'm selling my guys on, hey, let's take it one game at a time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this first game is the most important one. And in my opinion, if you're talking about sweeping the table out here, this first game's the toughest not because it's the first game, because I believe Missouri presents probably a greater challenge. So if he can sell his players on that, we got a lot to play for. I think this uh, this season can be salvaged. And uh, and like I said, Ron Zook had had an opportunity to to go out in a little blaze of glory by beating Florida state and Tallahassee. And then, you know, DJ won the bowl game. And so hopefully Randy Shannon can, can close it out here on a positive note as well.
1: You know, it's easier to look at these things, I guess in the future, but since we're here, we're talking today about it at this point. What do you view Coach McElwain's legacy as over his two and a half years with the program? Well, I
0: think uh, he was able to take advantage of a weak SEC Eastern Division for two years. I mean, when you look at it with the offenses that we had, you know, outside the top hundred for two years, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why someone else should have won the Eastern Division. So I have to give him credit for managing to to put it together and and win games to, enough to to be the Eastern representative. Uh, you know, now where that ranks us in the entire 1 to 14 in the SEC, obviously that's not going to be all that high because the West has been better than the East. But I- I'll-, I'll give him his two Eastern Division championships, and yet we were pretty much uh, undressed, so we really weren't on the same field. And that-, that leads to the fact that, you know, when you look at Florida against uh, Alabama, and so far, to date florida versus florida state and in oddly enough in in his uh, two and a half seasons he he played michigan twice Mm -hmm. and got beat both times there so you're you're going six so that tells you right there that we're not on the same level as those programs were at at the time of those games were played so and obviously during this time the the wheels were set in place here to uh, upgrade the facilities and we have a, a beautiful indoor practice facility now and Hopefully in uh, two to three years, we'll be talking about a new administrative building. Now, that's not something that the fans uh, take part in, but I mean, in terms of the coaches and the players, that's a big deal. And uh, so, you know, I think that's something that looks uh, in a positive way for uh, us moving forward and a new coach that comes in here.
1: Scott Strickland said in his press conference he's going to use all the resources he has to find the right coach for the Gators Say that means knocking on your door and saying, Mick, you've been here for 29 years. You've seen so many coaches, so many different aspects of this program. What would you tell him is important for the next coach of the Gators to make sure that that's the right fit?
0: Well, first off, I'd say I'm not worthy <laughs> as a as a radio announcer. The as you mentioned, I have been here 29 years, but uh, if that ever came to that, I'd be I'd be very much humbled. And uh, my job is to whoever's sitting next to me on the shows is to make them look as good as they possibly can. And that's all my job has ever really been here. I've been fortunate to have pretty good relationships uh, for the most part. Uh, but I- I'm going to try and put that guy in, in a great position. And I'll go back and tell you a story. When uh, I was here in 1989, my first year, I went through a coaching change too, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. When Galen Hall was relieved of his duties and – Right, Aaron L came out on an interim basis. And then uh, right after, uh, well, he was pretty much right around New Year's Eve was when we hired Steve Spurrier. And I knew of his legacy as winning a Heisman Trophy, but I didn't know him personally. And you got to remember now, it was 29 years ago. So I was obviously 29 years younger and, and maybe a little bit more uh, brash than I am now and maybe <laughs> not as intelligent as I was. But I remember, remember uh, talking with Steve and saying, look, I-, I will never push you off the plank as long as you don't push me off. In other words, we speak for a living, but if we get out there on that show and I get down a path that maybe I, I don't like being on, or you don't like me being on, don't push me the rest of the way you'll cover for me and I'll do the best to cover for you at all times. And he and I coach Spurrier and I had a tremendous relationship all through those years. And that's why I was so happy when he came back as his role. Now as the ambassador, because we can, from time to time, we can relive some of those stories and some of those glories and uh that was really great, but that was my only thing so in moving forward uh he has to look at this as a recruiting opportunity. you may, may not be sitting in the living room of a seventeen year old uh five star left tackle, but maybe maybe that kid's grandmother's listening, maybe his aunt is listening, maybe his third cousin's listening someone is listening always when you're doing a show like that, someone is consuming it, and someone is forming an opinion about you as a person and they may say, hey, you know that that." That coach XYZ, he was really good. I really like his personality. And so it's an opportunity to be recruiting, even if we're not talking about recruiting. And I think a lot of times, sometimes these coaches think that they're doing us a favor when in fact, you know, it's a part of their job. And when you can look at it as, hey, this is my opportunity to speak to somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I think that plays a a good part. And you got to be able to relate to the fans, the boosters, your players, of course, you've got to be a good salesman. And I think here for Florida, obviously, as Scott Strickland said, we want it to be fun. We want it to be fun within the building. We want to have fun as a staff inside this building. And and that obviously relates to winning. And we want to you know, you got to win. And and we want to do it. We, we, I don't know that we were asking for the moon, but mm-hmm. when you're sitting there outside of the top 100 in offense for year upon year upon year and and not really see any improvement going forward, I mean, that that's was that's frustrating. I think the new coach obviously has to have his handle on being able to Develop players from an offensive standpoint, score some points, put a little fun in there. Obviously, winning goes hand in hand with that. And then, like I said, be able to relate to people and 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 and, and give straight up answers and have a little bit of humility. I mean, it's said, you know that uh, you know w- the proud is resisted, but grace is given to the humble. And so, I, I think that's a that's a long way of, a part of doing that because this is a great place. I mean, it got great tradition, and you're sitting there in a the hotbed of high school football. You can recruit here. So uh, I think there's going to be no shortage of great people coming in here. And I'm looking forward to working with the next coaches. I have all of them, but I'm excited moving forward.
1: You know, this is such an interesting business in terms of the way people move around and one day you're you're wearing one shirt and the next day you got the shirt of an arch rival because that's just that's the way it goes in coaching. And that brings us to to Randy Shannon, who used to be the head coach of Miami and you know, went to Miami and now he's at least for a month he's leading the Gators. So I'm curious for first of all, your impressions on Randy Shannon, and second of all, if, if you can think of any other precedent for a previous foe becoming a friend to the Gators as Randy Shannon now is. <laughs> well, I don't know that I thought about it too
0: long in terms of being, you know, a former foe now now being friend, but I do know this that when Randy was hired, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go over there and go into his office and meet him and shake hands with him and get to know him a little bit. And I happened to be in the office one day walking down the hallway one day, not looking for him in particular, just seeing who was might be available, and it was of course it was the off season, and uh, he was in there. Yeah, he was the only coach that was in the offices down the hallway at that time. So I knocked on the door and he looked up and I said, Coach Shannon, uh, Mick Hubert, I'm a radio announcer here. And he said, come on in. So uh, we came in and we had a nice conversation. Uh It was probably four or five minutes long. you know. And I said, hey, what do I do to help you? And we chatted a little bit about some of the past. And then uh, a few months later, we happened to be sitting together at a table at one of the evening functions. And uh, so then we got to talk a little bit more because he was at our table. And uh, So we, we talked about it and i was very impressed i mean obviously i mean he he kind of took me in and you know told me some things and we had a good conversation i thought that's great so i think in this particular situation adam i think Randy shannon is perfect uh for this month coming here right now that you know i'm not saying he's the only guy but he's certainly a guy that could i believe hold this team together uh, and and that's his big sales job this week because as I mentioned earlier, I think we got a chance to win these next four, mm-hmm. but Missouri is the toughest, and it's not because it's the next one. It's because I believe when you look at that offense, Drew Locke and those receivers, and they can put points on the board, and Randy's a defensive guy. So whether he was the defensive coordinator under the previous coach or whether he's now the interim coach, it didn't matter. He had his work cut out for him this week because Missouri is quite capable of scoring a bunch of points. So uh, that's why I say if, if we can get up and, and go play a morning game at 11 o'clock on the road, and if he can hold them together and we can get over the hump and somehow limit them and find a little bit of our own offense, uh, that's huge for his week. And then I think we got a little momentum to carry it over. So I think he's, he's a guy, he's the one guy that can really hold it together. But it's always up to the players, really. It's up to the players. If if they want to put that helmet on that's got Gators written on it and represent the University of Florida, they got four more games. And for some of these guys, they're going to be their last four games. They're going to play for the Gators. So why not go out there and and lay it all on the line? And it's not like you're, you're playing the top four or five teams in the the college football rankings. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got teams here that you can compete with. So go out there and play. But. But pay attention to detail. And we weren't very good in that in the last game. Too many penalties and not a lot of lot of focus. And so those are the distractions that we have to overcome this week. But I think if he can relate to those guys, they can hold it together here. And, and I think they'll play for him. And I, I'm looking for a really, really good game on Saturday. You know, it's on the road. It's an 11 o'clock local start out there in Missouri but uh, it is interesting. Uh, that, that's the nature of sports. You know, one day he's your enemy and the next day he's your friend. That's just kind of the way things work out. And so uh, to me, it's not all about throwing the towel and let's turn the page and let's worry about next year. No, no, no. Let's go out and let's go out and win this this week and worry about next week, next week.
1: But I, I think that we we can do that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for Randy to be in that position to do it. Well, Mick, we really appreciate your insights as always. Thank you so much for joining us. Adam, thank you. My pleasure. The drastic change at the top of the football staff caught most by surprise and is still hard to believe considering where things were just a few weeks ago. And while we don't know all of the answers about exactly how and why the change needed to be made, the situation clearly escalated following Coach Mack's weekly press conference prior to the Georgia game. We asked Scott Carter and Chris Harry to help assess how we got to this moment, and Scott began by taking us back to that now infamous Monday morning.
3: During the press conference, Jim McIlwain's kind of, uh, you know, recapping the bye week, coming off back-to-back losses, looking ahead to the annual rivalry game against Georgia. And, you know, he does make a comment that obviously raises everyone's eyebrows and that he or some members of his family or the team had received death threats. And and think you saw it play out the rest of the day. You know, the uh, UAA administration checked in with him, didn't get any more details. They released a statement saying so. And I think at that point, having been around this business for a long time, kind of being aware of how putting things out in the media work, I think that was kind of like, okay, something's up here. It sounds like someone's crossed the line and uh, what's going to be the outcome of it. And then it was from there, it was just really seeing what was going to be the outcome of it. And you knew if they went over to play Georgia and it wasn't pretty, that that also might be the last straw, certainly wasn't the, the main factor in this thing, Scott Strickland said it himself best the other night. He said this decision was about more than just wins and losses. You know, you can read between the lines as uh, everyone has. And to me, I mean, Chris, to follow up on this too, it was as quick of a turn of events as I've seen in a long time on a, on a coach, uh, you know, in the program going different directions, but uh it is what it is, a phrase that we've heard a lot this week. And now, Obviously, from Florida's perspective, uh, they're moving on without Jim McElwain. Yeah, three weeks,
4: or excuse me, a month ago, the team was three and one. It seemed like the offense was getting better. Three straight wins, you know, all against SEC teams. One point lost to LSU. Two point lost to Texas A&M right at the end of the game. Then, of course, the forty-two to seven loss to Georgia that marked the, the worst loss uh, in the series for Florida since the nineteen eighty-two game. And now, McElwain said it best uh, uh, after the game. You know, he he said. I get it. The offense hasn't gotten better, and he's right. The uh, the offense statistically is ranked lower than when Will Muschamp was here. And truth be told, for as many people as wanted Will Muschamp out of here, Jim McElwain's record through his same number of games is exactly the same right now. Um, what is that record?
3: Twenty-two and twelve after what? Thirty-four games. Twenty-two
4: and twelve after thirty-four games. So fans they want progress, and the other thing. Uh, Scott Strickland was talking about and I thought was one of the more uh, illuminating things he said he said you know he hasn't even finished his first year here Mm -hmm. Uh, week I think will mark his one year anniversary next week rather Um, but he said from a distance when Florida had it going it looked really really fun and he wants it to be fun again and so uh, that's going to be the objective for his job and that of the people that will be on his search committee but First things first, uh, Randy Shannon, four games remaining starting Saturday at 11 a.m. Missouri time Hmm. against a Missouri team that, while they're winless in SEC play, they can get the ball up and down the field. And Florida's going to need to do some things offensively, score some points, because Missouri, I believe, averages 38 and a half points a game.
1: And we'll talk more about Missouri in just one second. I'm curious, you know, as people have tried to put the pieces of this together, one of the toughest elements is certainly the players and, and the way that they've had to go through this, the way they found out in a lot of cases through social media. What was the sense that you got from them in terms of the, the level of shock and the ability to move forward and, and finish the season?
3: Well, there was some shock, at Adam. I mean, Mark Thompson, I think, said it best probably, you know, no one really saw this coming until – The weekend, when it started getting out there, that there was a real uh, potential of maybe the Gators and uh, McIlwain separating, uh, going opposite directions. And then, of course, McIlwain actually mentioned that to the team uh, prior to the game, the team mill. And so then it was in their heads. But still, even Duke Dawson said as of Sunday, he he still didn't know if it was going to happen until he started seeing stuff on social media. They met with Scott Strickland about 5 p.m. on Sunday couple of hours before his press conference and and that's when it became a reality for uh, the Gators And you gotta remember these guys are you know 18 to 22 year olds and and while they are uh you know obviously aware of social media and hear a lot of that stuff sometimes a, a situation like this they're kind of disconnected uh from when you, you know you have issues between the coach and uh the administration other factors that may exist there that we don't know about so uh it did catch them by surprise and obviously uh they quickly talked a lot about, hey, there's still a month in the season, we have four games left, we're gonna try to go out. I mean, especially the seniors. Uh these guys this is their last go around and while they are three and four, lost three in a row, they still have the potential to make a bowl if somehow they can, you know, get back to finding ways to uh, win. So that's the message they delivered earlier in the week but there's still uh, a little bit of i think uh, deer in the headlights look with some of those guys
1: you know as students of uh, of journalism practitioners of journalism you guys have seen that this shift in the way that news is reported the way it's consumed and there have been coaching changes before but as we've gotten more into the social media culture, it's amazing the way that that changes in terms of the noise that gets out. And as you said, Saturday morning, a lot of this started and even necessitated a statement to be put out by Scott Strickland referring to this. I'm just curious for, for you guys, looking at this from your perspective, just how different something like this is today relative to how, say, Ron Zook was dismissed 15 years ago.
4: Well, let's go back farther than that. I mean, you're, you're talking like Sunday when all this stuff was playing out. You saw some Florida players, Luke Del Rio comes to mind, Tyree Cleveland, I think, were tweeting out stuff like, you know, why are we finding this out now? Like, And it's just the way of the world. It's social media. I mean, it's it's rumor mongering in real time. Uh, none of this stuff existed 20 years ago. I mean, if we were on a death watch on a coach as newspaper reporters back then, there wasn't 24-7 talk radio either. You know, you waited maybe maybe there was a talk radio station coming on from three to six or four to seven for the drive for the drive home. But uh, a lot of that there wasn't the crawl, the the little leaks like that, and and it's beyond leaks. It's it's truly this business now thrives on speculation. Remember, John Gruden used to always say, I covered him all seven of his years at TV. He goes, I don't speculate on speculation, okay? <laughs> well, that's okay. You don't have to because everyone else does. So that's just, like I said, the the way of the world right now, whether it's message boards, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook or what have you. And Twitter seems to be the, the, the biggest culprit in all that because, as you know, if you put out a tweet and maybe it's a slightly inaccurate, you can go back and delete the tweet, but that doesn't mean you delete the information that was out. So, there are no secrets, I don't think. And in fact, uh, I would say a bigger surprise is when something like this happens and nobody knows about it beforehand.
3: The game has totally changed in that regard. Used to used to spend the day actually putting stuff in your notebook and trying to organize your information, making as many calls as you can. So at the end of the day, when you sat down and wrote your story for the next day's newspaper, you felt you could. As, as authoritative you can with real facts and they're out there today but there's also a lot of false information so it's confusing for people it's confusing for players but like chris said it's the way the world is and it's, it's not going to change the days of uh being able to get your team together and tell them before something like this comes down i mean those days are truly over
1: And something that that I would say that I think you guys would probably agree with for all fans that want to know what's coming up next and who Florida's going to hire, be very wary of who you trust when it comes to social media. Anybody can put out a tweet claiming to be from anywhere, but try to look at reputable sources in terms of where that information is coming from.
4: Scott Strickland addressed Mm -hmm. that in his press conference, just talking about he's not going to respond to every every rumor, every bit of information that may be out there, and and he shouldn't, uh, nor should he be expected to these things that you know are best left self-contained uh but of course things will leak and I, I still remember jeremy foley learning the hard way when he went chasing uh mike shanahan this was around when travel logs for airplanes started to get you, you mm-hmm. started to be able to find those on the internet he went to denver to try to get mike shanahan who was only i believe two years removed from winning a second straight super bowl he got in his rent-a-car, started driving to Mike Shanahan's house, and he had a bunch of news helicopters following. It was like the scene from Goodfellas or something. You know? <laughs> He's the Oda driving down I-70. I mean, he was like, what the hell is going on? I mean, that you remember when McElwain got hired, the pictures of him, him looking out the window sure. at all the media. And so there are no secrets, and we can get ready for something similar like that uh, to happen over the course of the next few weeks. But I think I'm talking about beyond the next few weeks because – uh whoever the Florida coach is right now, I'm sure it's a guy who's doing very well at some particular place. And um, with respect to that, there's some big games about to be played and some coaches at Florida may be interested in, may be involved in some of those games and you got to stay away from those guys and let them do their thing.
1: So let's talk about that. Cause inevitably that's where everybody wants to go in terms of who the next coach will be here at Florida. And you know, while we don't know the answer to that, we know that Scott Strickland is going to be embarking on his first search for a head coach as an AD and also you know we know just like with McIlwain that there's certain criteria he'll be looking for to try and satisfy not just the fans but the the tradition of Florida football and where it aims to be
3: yeah he immediately addressed that on Sunday night going with the you know one size doesn't fit all when it comes to these type of searches the kind of coach that fits a, you know one program might not be the kind of coach that fits at Florida and you know I think uh, we've seen that some in the last couple of hires here, for whatever reason, things haven't turned out like we envisioned. And so, I mean, that's going to be a point that, you know, I'm sure he and his staff will narrow their candidates down to what they really see as the good fits. And what's fascinating to me, Adam, about, coaching searches in today's world. I've got a rule of thumb when I'm when I'm reading stuff on coaching search. The more names that someone lists, that means the less they know. (laughs) So that I mean you you're seeing lists now with like what twenty five or thirty guys. They're just throwing names out there. But you you know you're you've already heard some of the obviously names that are gonna be at least mention like Charlie Strong or Scott Frost or Willie Taggart. These are the guys that are out there, but there's going to be more. We don't know if it's going to be one of those guys or someone way off the radar at this point, but you are going to hear a lot of names in the next few weeks. and uh, Ultimately, it goes back to what Strickland said in the fact that you got to find a guy that fits at Florida. And uh, to kind of get the fun back, I I really liked what he said the other night in terms of, to me, a direct message to the fans. Like, hey, we know you guys aren't having a lot of fun lately. We want to get that back. And, uh, you know, this is a new guy in town, and he wants to have some fun too. So so we'll see how it shakes out. But it's going to be a uh, very uh, chaotic next few weeks in terms of what you're hearing out there.
1: Well, it's interesting too because – you know, as Strickland said in his press conference, it's not like when you go and shop for a TV and, and you look at the specs, you know exactly what you're getting. I remember at the time, you know, people, speaking of Twitter, love to unearth old tweets. I think Paul Feinbaum had tweeted back when McIlwain was hired that this was a slam dunk. It was, you know, checked every box. It was perfect. You can check every box to some degree and still not be the right guy, as we learned with McIlwain. You know, he had all those boxes checked in terms of what you look for with experience, with pedigree. So it is, it, to some degree, it's a crapshoot, which is frustrating to hear. But you just don't know what that alchemy will produce when you put a coach into a new situation in an unfamiliar setting.
3: No, I mean you're totally right. I mean, uh there's some slam dunk cars that don't work out, and then there's others that you're like scratching your head at a little bit, you know. And uh look at what James Franklin's done at Penn State. A lot of people kind of scratched their head at that one. It seems to work out pretty well. I think the the key it goes all back to college football is all about recruiting. I think early indications of a coach's success lies in his first couple of recruiting classes. That gives you as much, I think, a telltale sign as anything else in the whole process.
4: I would disagree a tad on that because obviously recruiting is important, but the great coaches can find ways to win with the three-star guys. I, I don't think Mike Leach is getting a, a five-star guys at Washington State, and you know he's throwing for 500 yards a game or whatever the ridiculous numbers are. Um, Steve Spurrier won at Duke, like, having a system that worked. He was he didn't have five-star players at Duke. Like, believe me. Um, Florida needs to get a guy in here that gets – you talk about fun. That means getting guys open. The next coach is going to be someone with an offensive track record. Granted, Jim McElane had an offensive track record. He had the number four uh, offense in the country at Colorado. He had a guy who was drafted. I think he had the number one receiver in the country the, uh, in terms of yards. I think he uh, 1,800-yard receiver, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, he did check all those boxes. But ultimately, you got to lay it out there and put it to work – With what you have. There's some players on this team and uh, eventually we're going to see if the offense looks different with Randy Shannon on the sidelines and and maybe, you know, given uh, uh, Doug Nussmeyer and his offensive staff some different marching orders relative to, you know, what they're allowed to do to try to get up and down the field because they're going to have to get up and down the field with starting with Missouri and eventually uh, when they play Florida State at the end of the season, I would think.
1: So let's talk about what's next, and we saw Randy Shannon step up to the podium on Monday and give his first press conference as the interim head coach of the Gators, and it it wasn't just business as usual, I think that's what maybe stood out the most to me, it was clear that he has some ideas about how things should have been done differently in the past, and how they will be different here for the, the next month, so can you guys just touch on some of what stood out to you from Randy Shannon and his approach to this last month of the season?
3: Well, more than anything to me, Adam, what stands out is he's clearly been in that position before. I mean, he's a, he was, you know, spent four years as head coach down in Miami. And, you know, when he stepped up first press conference as interim coach, I mean, he did have a plan. He did make some news by saying that, you know, the quarterback position was going to be reopening competition. Uh, he made a couple of shifts in the staff. He talked about maybe just different approaches on, what they're doing just in their daily routine. That's a guy who has ran his own program before, who clearly has some uh, history and what he likes to do. He's changed things up with the media this week. So for him, I mean, it's it's four games. Uh, you know, he's obviously got a chance to at least show what he can do. You know, how serious of a candidate is he? We don't know. You know, I don't think a lot of people are putting a lot of stock and Randy Shannon as the next head coach. But what if they go out here and surprise us? So it's an element that he at least has control over right now uh, with this team. And uh, it does start with Missouri then South Carolina, UAB, Florida State. You look on paper, all four games are winnable. But, of course, the Gators, where they are right now, I mean, they've got to improve a lot. If Shannon can get them to improve some this week and they go out and regain some momentum at Missouri – uh, you know, maybe this is a team that, you know, can still have a winning season and make a bowl game, and that's obviously the mission that, you know, he's charged with right now.
4: One of the interesting changes he had, uh, he said he decided to let the media in for about 30 minutes mm-hmm. to watch, and I think uh, it was a pretty telling thing that he said, you know, he goes, you guys got a job to do or whatever. You can come in, and I know you want to formulate some opinions and basically said, your opinions don't matter to me like they used to. but <laughs> You do have a job to do, and you know you can come in and do that job. So uh, he took a little more control of what players were going to come out and talk. There's no need to send a quarterback out when you don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Uh, there was some change in where the interviews were. He was definitely doing some things uh, differently, and I agree with Scott. You got the sense this was a guy who had, had been in the chair before. He had that air about him that he was in control, and and he certainly got that across in his first press conference. Now let's see how how in control he is on the sidelines and what he can get these guys to do. Because let's face it, these are difficult circumstances. There's a lot of uncertainty now, not just for this team. That uncertainty spills over, obviously, into the coaching staff. They now don't know where they're going to be several months from now. Some of them could still be here. Some of them may be elsewhere. They have no idea where they are, and that trickles down to not only them, but their families and what have you. So, It's a very precarious time, and it's going to take a delicate touch. I have no doubt Randy Shannon is the best one down there on the second floor to handle that.
1: So in terms of the game this weekend, he talked about maybe some changes and possibly a new starting quarterback uh, we saw Malik Zaire come in and look pretty good late in the fourth quarter against Georgia. Now, it was against mostly second team defenders, but it did seem like maybe there was a path forward there that could be more effective because of Zaire's ability to move around and, and maybe even introduce some some read option type concepts going forward
3: uh you're right adam i mean zare did i think uh inject some uh pep into the offense late it was against georgia's second team the game was clearly out of reach but you could tell that he was excited to be in the game i mean it was his first action since the the season opening loss to michigan and you gotta remember he came down here there was a lot of hype about him over the summer and yet he's really been a non-factor so i think uh in terms of Malik Zaire, this is kind of like a second life for him. Can he uh, compete with Felipe Franks and maybe take the job and re-energize this offense in a way that we haven't seen uh, consistently from uh, Felipe Franks? And I mean, it was a this is a team, Adam, that has 309 yards passing in the last three games. Hmm. According to my math, that's 103 a game, and I don't think that's very good. So this is a an offense that obviously, everything should be really open, I think to adjustment. And if if Randy Shannon does go with a uh, change at quarterback, I think that's a that's a smart move at this point. See what Malik there can do because we we haven't really seen him given that opportunity yet
4: florida here's a statistic for you adam florida has five touchdown passes this season one was the obviously the hail mary felipe franks to tyree cleveland two were when kentucky guys didn't cover uh, florida receivers another one was on a a pass that traveled i think two inches against texas a&m um there's only two teams in the country that have fewer touchdown passes than Florida. That would be Georgia Southern and Army. They both run the triple option. Wow. So there's a lot to improve on here. And if they want to go out and start getting aggressive a little bit, I, th- I think Florida fans would appreciate maybe a coaching staff that went out in flames if it meant chucking the ball all over the place and maybe giving it a try. You've lost Malik Davis. Receiver situation is uncertain. Tyree Cleveland and Kadarius Tony both maybe re-injured last week.
3: Uh, both of them are certainly
1: not 100%.
4: Right, right. So come what may, maybe be worth it just to go out and take a chance and maybe try to zing it around the field a little bit. You know, I guarantee Missouri's going to.
1: Yeah, no question about that. Finishing things up with our PAT this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys stay up late enough to see all of the World Series because they've been going until about 2 o'clock in the morning. But it's been just an unbelievable championship event. Exactly what you want when everything is on the table and there's so many eyeballs watching So for me, this is one of the most memorable championship events I think I've ever seen. I'm curious for you guys, in all of your years, whether it's a single game, a Super Bowl, a national championship, or a series of some kind, what stands out to you as maybe the greatest championship event that you've ever seen?
3: Mine are going to be probably both baseball and One's gonna be live and one's gonna be as a fan of what I think still is the best World Series ever, even though this one I'm giving some credit that it can challenge it. The nineteen ninety one World Series between the Braves and the Twins. And the reason it means a lot to me because I, you know, grew up in the South, so you gotta remember back in my old days, Adam, the Braves were the only thing if you were born in Tennessee, Alabama, the Carolinas, Florida. Mississippi. I mean, the Braves were the team of the South. And mm-hmm. and they and I've been a diehard fan since I was young. And boy, they were so bad in the 80s. And then in 1991, they get it together, make it to the World Series and go to the seven games and obviously lost to the Twins uh, one nothing in a 10 innings. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of reminiscent of it because it's been pretty cool to see John Smoltz actually call this World Series. Sure. And obviously, he was a pitcher in that 1991 World Series, so he did a lot of great things. Uh, so that probably is the one that stands out to me as a fan. And then as a, a working journalist, without question, the 2003 ALCS between the Red Sox and Yankees, one that I covered, uh, one that ended on Aaron Boone's home run at Yankee Stadium off Tim Wakefield, and I still can uh, kind of hear the, the music blaring at Yankee Stadium and and watching uh, Aaron Boone and his family an hour after the game ended, still up in the press box hacking, and he's down there with his family taking pictures, and the whole stadium's empty. So something that stuck with me all these years, and uh, one that I'll never forget.
4: I covered 14 Super Bowls, and a lot of the Super Bowls have been blowouts. But three of them, the, the first two Patriots Super Bowl titles, both won by Adam Vinatieri, and one won the last play of the game, whether another one like in the final minute, and then the crazy one with between the um, the Cardinals and the Steelers in Tampa it was fantastic atmosphere there fantastic football games but you know what i'm going to go a little off the beaten path a little bit and cuz this this wasn't an, an exciting game in terms of down to the wire but the run up and what happened in New Orleans when Florida played Florida State for the national championship hmm. i i'm looking at that now and one day people will write books about it because it I'm surprised it hadn't happened yet 21 years ago. When will one team ever have a second shot like that at an arch rival in the singular season? Mm-hmm. When it comes to college football, now you, you've had great rematches and boxing and then in the NFL and the playoffs and something like that. But the circumstances to put Florida, considering what Florida State took away from them uh, in that last game in Tallahassee, The circumstances to happen the way they happen, the stars to align the way they align. And uh, the wins and losses had to happen for Florida to take the field in the Superdome with a chance to beat Florida State for the national championship was absolutely insane. And to know the players like I knew them, to certainly know the coach the way I knew him at the time, that was something special to be a part of and just to write about and to chronicle. And I'm sure there'll be Gator fans that'll listen to this. That are saying, yeah, yeah, you tell them, Chris, you tell them, Chris. And it's not because I'm Mr. I'm Gators Chris at FloridaGators.com right now, but that was a fun, really unique situation that I look back on and say, wow, I don't know that that will ever, ever happen again.
1: Well, those are some really interesting anecdotes from you guys. We appreciate that as always. And if people want more coverage of what's going on this week, I know you guys have full stories about Scott Strickland as he begins this search, Randy Shannon, his background, what he's done before leading up to this opportunity, and more. So I would encourage everybody to go to FloridaGators.com to see the latest that Chris and Scott have going. And, of course, follow him on Twitter, at Scott at Chris. And hopefully next week we get to dive into basketball and uh, start looking toward what could be a very big year for the Gators on the hardwood. So we look forward to that, and we thank you guys, as always, for joining us. All uh, right. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so be sure to subscribe to gator tales in the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow we're always looking for ways to improve gator tales and encourage your feedback by emailing gatorspodcast at gmail.com tweeting at gators podcast, or messaging gator tales podcast on facebook Don't forget to catch the Gators as they head to Missouri for a noon Eastern time kickoff on ESPN2 and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Columbia.